Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Our Athletes. My name is Michael Raziel, and I'm the host to the show where I get to interview Olympic athletes and hopefuls on their story and path to the games. Today, we have a very incredible guest. Her name is Tess Johnson. Uh, her claim to fame, other than going to the Olympics, is the fact that she was the youngest member on the team at the time. It was pretty incredible about how young she was and how good she was and is and is is planning on being relatively soon. So Tess was a, a, lo a lot of fun, very cool interview, very relaxed, very laid back girl, um, has a lot of information. Obviously, she's been doing this thing a little while now. So she's well beyond her years in terms of wisdom and maturity. So it was a lot of fun getting to talk to her, hearing what she's been up to and uh, some of the things that she's getting ready for. So other than that, guys, hope you guys really enjoy one more time this interview with Tess Johnson. All right, very special guest, Olympian Tess Johnson, USA Skiing. She does moguls. We'll kind of find out exactly what that means and why anyone would do that to each his own, though, of course, right? Uh, born June 19th, 2000 in Vail, Colorado. Tess began skiing at the age of two. And at 14, she was named the youngest skier to the United States national team. In 2016, she won the North American Grand Prix and took home silver at the FIS Junior World Ski Championships. And in January of 2018, Tess finished fourth at a World Cup event, which was the highest of any American at the time. And she was named to the 2018 Olympic team and then attended the games in Korea. Tess, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for that introduction. Please, please. You deserve it. You, you did all the stuff. I mean, my introduction would be I went to college. That's about it. <laughs> um, so Tess, if you don't mind, I mean, obviously that was very short and you've probably done a couple more cool things in your life. If you don't mind filling in the blanks for us a little bit and kind of taking us back you know, best stories, in my opinion, start at the beginning. Yeah, um, I started skiing at two years old. My parents taught me here in Vail. That's where I live. Um, I was born and raised here. Uh, my parents told me that I started carving at a pretty young age, so I took to it pretty fast. And ever since I can remember, I loved skiing, just everything about it, even if it was dumping snow or raining. Um, I loved being out there. And skiing through the trees and jumping. Uh, when I was about nine years old, I wanted to start competing. And actually I wanted to compete slope style, which is um, just jumps and rails, but I was too young. So my mom signed me up for the next closest thing, which was bumps and jumps. Um, and it ended up being more moguls than jumping, but I loved it. And the coach here sort of took me under his wing and saw that I had a talent and got me into competing really quickly. And the rest is history. I Loved it ever since then. Literal history. Yeah, you made the Olympics. That is pretty incredible. So could you tell us a little bit more about moguls? Because like, I've seen it on TV and it looks like, I mean, my knees are in pain when I watch you guys. So like, how, yeah. how does this start? How, I mean, obviously you explained how you got into it, but could you just tell us a little bit more about them, I guess? Yeah. Um, well, mogul skiing, competitive mogul skiing is a combination between moguls and aerials. So a typical mogul course has um, three sections of moguls with two jumps in between. And it's a judged sport. So 60% is your moguls, 20% is your jumps, and 20% is your speed. But um, yeah, it's funny. Whenever I tell uh, spectators or just skiers skiing around that I do moguls, they're like, oh, I avoid those. So we're definitely choosing um, a high-impact sport on our bodies. And ironically, it's my back that always hurts. But um, yeah, that's pretty much what mogul skiing is in a nutshell. Yeah, that I, I could see that kind of being pretty painful on the yeah. body. Luckily, you're young; you can you can recover quickly. Hopefully, um, just curious <laughs> yeah. what it's going to be like in ten years, but I'm sure you'll be fine. Then, <laughs> so that's not a big deal. Uh, very cool. Thank you so much for that. And then another little interesting thing I wanted to touch upon. 
Um, you and your grandfather, other than, you know, the relationship um, of, you know, being related, have uh, kind of an interesting connection. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so my grandfather on my father's side was a journalist for Sports Illustrated for, um, I think, over 40 years. I don't know exactly, but he covered eight Winter Olympics. And um, he didn't get to cover any mogul skiing because it wasn't an Olympic sport when he was a journalist. But he loved going to the Olympics and covering skiing, especially alpine skiing. And um, I have a ton of his, uh, the cover of the magazines that he covered hung up around our house just as a memento. He unfortunately died three years ago, so he didn't get to see me realize my Olympic dreams, but um, he would be so proud. And it's pretty cool to have that connection, that Olympic relationship, besides obviously our um, bloodline. Yeah, 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 obviously. But that that is just, I think that is just wicked. I mean, if that's not like a, hey, you know, let's line this up in some crazy way for the universe. Um, yeah. You know, clearly it happened. And I just think that is, that is just super cool. And yeah, I'd say that is very unfortunate. He wasn't able to see you, mm-hmm. um, but he did get to see you make the U S team. So obviously that yeah. was, uh, that was coming along. So actually let's, let's move right to that. I mean, at 14 years old, you were the youngest skier named to the United States national team. That is insane. I mean, 14 year old Mike, like I don't know what I would have done if someone told me I was one of the best in the country at something. What was what was that experience like? And I guess moving back a little bit, what, when did you kind of see that that was a possibility? Well, um, so that year was the first year I was eligible to compete in um, a FIS competition, which is basically like an international level. Um, and most kids at that age don't even make it on the NORAM tour. So at the beginning of the winter season, I competed in the qualifying event and I got third miraculously I had no expectations so I was going on the NORAM tour and my parents were like oh this is going to be expensive maybe you can do one the one in um, Utah so I was like all right that sounds good so I went to that one and I got third again and so I'm like ranked in the top three on this North American tour and my coach was like well you have to keep going on the rest of it so I went on this tour for a month um, went to Quebec Calgary uh, Utah on the east coast in the States and I ended up finishing fourth overall. And although I didn't actually qualify for the national team, you have to win the Noram tour to qualify. It was a really good year to do well because three of the women on the national team had retired and there was an open spot. So I was sort of the next girl and um, the head coach definitely took a chance with me being so young, but um, it was definitely an unprecedented thing. Like they'd never done it before. And I still remember the call from the head coach being like, do you want to be on the national team? And I was like, oh my gosh, do I? (laughs) So it was crazy, but um, yeah, it happened. That's nuts, man. Like that is just absolutely wicked. I mean, if that's not the stars aligning, as you said, with three people retiring, um, you just happening to place for third on the first one and then happening to place third on the next one. And it's just kind of just keeps going. And as your coach said, like, you can't stop now. Like you've done Mm -hmm. way too well, at least put, you know, it's unfortunate for your parents. They had to spend all that money, but (laughs) um, at the same time, I'm sure they're very, very happy with what they No, Yeah. They were like, we can't miss this opportunity. It doesn't happen often. Um, And that being said, like I definitely worked really hard for it. Oh, Um, of course. Of course. But it's just a lot of it was being in the right place at the right time. And um, who knows what would have happened if those girls hadn't retired. I don't know, but uh, they did. And uh, yeah, I 
did that. So no, a hundred percent. I believe in something, um, create your own luck. Like you have to put yourself in situations to become lucky and there's a better chance that you will become lucky. And obviously you did all the work there, if not more than that was needed. Um, and then again, the stars aligned to, you did all the work. These three girls retired. You went on this tour, not accidentally, but kind of unprecedented as you kind of said, and then look at that. It all, uh, it all lined up. So I just think that's incredible. So when, Thanks. when you do now, thank you, you put in the work, man. Like I've, I've done nothing compared to what you've done and you're only 18 at this point. So, um, you know, what, what was that like? So you're finally on the team. At what point mm-hmm. do you, like, when did it hit you? I guess that you were like with all these girls that you kind of looked up to and for a little while, uh, what's that like? It was weird. I'm not going to lie. I didn't really feel, um, for the first few months, I didn't quite feel like I belonged there. Because uh, it was unprecedented, it was technically a discretion, um, and I was so much younger than everyone else. The next girl was four years older than me, so I felt like a fish out of water. Um, so I actually stayed that year. I trained with my domestic team, still just feeling it out. And then I did win the Noram Tour that year to actually qualify for the team. And that whole year, I sort of started to believe in myself more and realized that I do belong here. And no matter how young I am or how old they are, uh, that doesn't matter that I still belong and I can compete with anyone. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, you, you did what, you know, you were literally, as you said, you were the next person up, you're the next girl yeah. up. So it was yours. It was rightfully yours. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just crazy again, how all that kind of happened. And I, I can understand a 14 year old. I mean, as you said, I mean, you're 18 now, try dealing with a 14, a freshman in high school. It's not really something you want to do on a daily basis. So yeah. I can kind of understand you being 14 and kind of having that weird, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of, uh, heck, I don't know, whatever that word is that I'm looking for. Yeah, no, uh, it was, it was definitely uncomfortable. To yes. Say, thank please. you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uncomfortable, uh, yeah. super self-conscious. I'm sure like, right. Oh, should I be here? Should I not be here? That whole thing. So I can understand yeah. that being really uncomfortable, but you know, and then as you said, the next year you want it. So if yeah. that wasn't a solidification of no, I do deserve to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that probably calmed you down a little bit and got you ready. And you just said, nope, let's, let's rock and yeah, roll. It definitely did. And it took time to like really believe in myself, but you know, I got there eventually. A hundred percent. And now, I mean, heck, look what happened yeah. a couple of years later. I mean, that's, that's just incredible. So, so you are on the national team in 2014. What was, and then I guess 2015, you really like, I guess, rightfully took your place. It sounds like, cause you didn't train with them. Is that, is that yeah. how, okay. So yeah, then I we, stayed with my domestic team and um, did that year with mm-hmm. them. So then when you did finally join the team and actually start training with them, how, how quickly did you see your skill level increase being around these girls, the competition, the being able to pick the brains, the coaches, the training, all that stuff. How quickly did you notice like, Oh my gosh, this is, you know, the sky's the limit. Uh, pretty quickly, actually. Um, all the girls were super welcoming and there was actually a lot of other new girls that year as well. So we sort of all, um, we're in it together and, we're all very competitive and really talented. So it was this really good environment where we were pushing each other yet cheering for each other at the same time. And now we're the best women's mogul team in the world. And rightfully so, like we definitely have all the best qualities. Um, and I'm super like pretty much that year when I started training with them, I knew that it was a special thing to be a part of. And I'm still honored to be on that team. 
And we're honored to, uh, to have you represent us and we appreciate it. I think it's incredible. Um, so then, so that was about 2015 and 2016, as I said before, that was almost like your coming out party. That's when you won, um, the North American Grand Prix. That's yeah. when you took home silver at the, I guess the FIS, as you said, I said FIS, I yes. guess FIS, um, junior world ski championships. And what was that like kind of finally starting to be noticed on more of a national scale? I mean, obviously uh, you were because yeah. you're so young at the time, but then again, now it's like, Oh, so. I'm here. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was cool for sure. Um, I tried not to get too wrapped up in like the politics of it because mobile skiing is a really small sport. So it's easy to get wrapped up in like, oh, being noticed and being on like this national and international tour. Um, so I sort of just put it on the back burner of my mind and just focused on having fun with skiing and doing the best that I could. Absolutely. And clearly it, it paid off pretty well for you, right? That's yeah. incredible. And again, I, you ask 16 year old Mike, if I, you know, was to start being one of the best in the world or something, my head would be gigantic, dude. It would be incredible. I wouldn't be able to walk through doors. I mean, I, it, it would be nuts. Um, so I could, I mean, I really cannot even imagine what that was like. And you just actually being able to be so humble about it and just actually focus on it. So I think that's really incredible on your part. And so then obviously 2016, then we got 2018, which is when you placed fourth, um, in a world cup event. What, was that your first World Cup event, or were, did you have multiple before that? No, so 2017 was my first year on the World Cup tour, um, and I was the youngest on the tour, and it was definitely shocking. Like, I didn't do super well. Um, I'd made every final, which was pretty cool, but I never really broke through, like, 12th place. Um, it was sort of like my rookie season. Um, mm -hmm. So then 2018 came around, and it was an Olympic year, and um, pretty much – during an Olympic year and in an independent sport, your biggest competitors are your teammates, which was really hard because, like I said before, they're my best friends. Um, we want nothing more than to see each other succeed, but we're also so competitive and we want that Olympic spot for ourselves. So it was really tough. And so from pretty much December through mid-January was Olympic qualifying events, and it was intense. Uh, it pretty much came down to the last event in Quebec, um, which was where I placed fourth. And that was, um, I knew that I had to do something big on that day if I wanted to go to the Olympics because there was two other girls who were fighting me for this last Olympic spot. Um, and I, like I said, I just sort of put that on the back burner and focused on having fun skiing and just doing my best. And it worked out, it worked out cause I finished my, with my best world cup result fourth place and qualified for the Olympics. That is incredible. And just so um, myself as well as the audience, how many women or how many people women are to take from a team uh, for moguls? So how many people? Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. How many people qualify? Yeah. So four women this year qualified out of nine. Nine. Oh, man. So there's yeah. there's some there's some heartbreak in that room. That's unfortunate. Yeah, that's that's always one question I like to ask with individual athletes like being so close and training with these girls on a daily basis and, and being their best friends and always hanging out and then mm -hmm. having to kind of almost not quite turn it off, but understand like I, you have to look out for yourself, right? Oh, like yeah. you understand four, only four girls can go. That means five are going to be crying, mm -hmm. unfortunate tears. So what is like, what are those relationships like and, and kind of how do you almost turn that part of your brain off? Um, or, or do you even? Yeah. Um, I, it's hard because like I said, they're like my sisters and best friends, but um, it sort of just comes down to professionalism. And, you know, like when you're skiing and when you're competing, you know, we realize and we understand that 
you know, we're at, we're out there for ourselves first and foremost. And it, this is an independent sport and we all have really big dreams for ourselves when it comes down to it. So, you know, we all understand that and we respect that um, first and foremost, which I think is really important. And it was probably what makes our team so strong. Uh, but then at the end of the day, um, you know, everyone is at the bottom of the course cheering you on no matter what. Mm -hmm. So when we compete, yeah, we sort of turn that off um, and we focus on ourselves, at least I do. Um, and then when I'm at the bottom of the course, I'm definitely giving my teammates hugs and cheering them on because if, if I can't have it, I definitely want them to. I mean, yeah, worst comes to worst, one of your best friends is going to the Olympics. So it's like, exactly. it's not a great situation to be in, but at the same time, but someone's yeah. got to go, someone can't, right? Exactly. So I think we all understand that and we respect each other as athletes and as people. Um, and that's, you know, that's that element of professionalism. Like I said, that's sort of what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. So one thing actually, while, while you were talking a little bit, that, that kind of resonated with me and I'm kind of curious, I guess you're, you're constantly known as the youngest, as you said, 2017, you were the youngest, 2018, yep. if you weren't the youngest, you were one of the youngest. Does that get kind of frustrating when people always point that out or is it kind of a chip on your shoulder? Do you use it as motivation? How does that? No, how do you I, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really like it. Um, I sort of. It's funny because I sort of like ignore that I'm younger than everyone, but I also embrace it at the same time because people look at it as like an underdog, um, which I think can be good. But I sort of like to think of it as like, no, I'm not an underdog. I'm so much younger than you and I can still be as good as you. And I think that makes it even more awesome. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so, that's I, I love yeah, I mean, that. it that's might incredible. sound a little arrogant, but like when you're that much younger than everyone, you sort of have to be to compete with them. and be at their same level. Um, and it's worked out for me. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. I totally agree with you. You have yeah. to be, I mean, there, there's, there's a cocky and confidence line, of right. course. Exactly. Um, and you, you got to tell it cause that's the best place to be. There's that silver line and, and clearly you're doing a pretty good job at that. But no, I mean, cause, cause you said it, like, it was kind of like, almost like, okay, yeah, I know I'm the youngest guy. Yeah, mm -hmm. Okay. Let's get over it. But I can yeah. see how, um, it can be frustrating, but at the same time you can really utilize it and yeah. kind of use it as a force moving forward. Right. Cause it makes me feel even like more accomplished, I guess, at the end of the day, if I do well against these women so much older than me. And the fact that you get a couple extra years on them, that means you'll yeah. be around for a little while, which is pretty, exactly. um, mm -hmm. so that, that is pretty cool. So we have your world cup event, you place fourth better than any American woman. Um, you get the spot on the team. What was that like knowing that, Oh my gosh, like you're going to be going to the Olympics, what kind of emotions, but then at the same time, again, you just beat out to your teammates that aren't going to go. What, what were yeah. those emotions like in that room that night? Um, well, I was rooming with another athlete who had already qualified for the Olympics. So that was good. <laughs> um, but it was incredible. Like I can't put words into the feelings I had when I found out I was going to the Olympics. I mean, this has been a dream of mine since I was nine years old, since I started competing moguls pretty much the first day that I competed, I knew I wanted to go to the Olympics and to like, it's just one of those things that you don't really think is going to happen until it actually does, you know, cause like you can believe in yourself and you can work towards this goal, but it just seems so far away all the time. So when it, when it's actually there, it's just, there's no words for it. Yeah. I could, I seriously can't even imagine yeah. what it's, what that is like. I mean, seeing the rings next to your name, like that whole thing and just understanding like, I'm going to represent our country. Like yeah. I'm one of the best in the world or something, the best in the country or something. Like, I just think that's incredible. So then, I mean, the, the, it's a crazy turnaround, isn't it? And January was 
it, what, the Olympics were in February, right? February, yeah. No, so, I found out that I was making that I was going to the Olympics January twentieth, and we were leaving February first. So that's not. So you had not even two weeks to process everything, nope. get everything ready, yeah. and go. And I mean, you're literally flying halfway across the, the world. You know yeah. what? What I mean that whole process must have been nuts. And then getting there, I mean, was that just a complete whirlwind of 10 days, it sounds like? Yep, pretty much. Um, I <laughs> flew back to Park City, which is where the U.S. ski team is based out of. And my mom came and saw me and it was super emotional and really happy. It was a happy time for sure. But it hadn't really hit me yet because there was just so many things to do. There was interviews and autograph signings and photo shoots and getting our outfits. And still we were training because we were about to go to the Olympics. So we wanted to get some training in. Uh, so it was crazy. It went by so fast. But uh, when I did go to Korea, it started to hit me more, um, started to be surrounded by other athletes with sports that I'd never even heard of, honestly, mm-hmm. uh, from countries that I'd never even heard of. Being in the Olympic Village was crazy. Um, but yeah, we were there in Korea for 10 days before the opening ceremonies because our event was one of the firsts. Okay. And did you like that? The fact that it was going to be done over and then you can yeah. kind of relax a little bit? Yeah. I Maybe looking back, maybe I would have wanted it a little more into the Olympics, but honestly, I liked having it at the beginning uh, for my first Olympics because I was able to enjoy the rest of it and watch a lot of events and spend a day or two with my family because they got to come and watch me. Very cool. Um, and we were there for a full the full month of February. So it was it was a very full experience. I have no regrets. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, because I've, I've talked to a couple athletes where their event is kind of later, like the, yeah. the second half. And like the first half, like you don't want to go out and do too much. You want right. to stay in and watch yeah. film and do, you know, whatever it training is. you can. And it kind of almost, it doesn't diminish the, op- it doesn't diminish it in, you know, the, the experience. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they even said like, it kind of would have been nice if it was a little earlier. Yeah. So you could have went out and done things because so many people are afraid of injury. So many people are right. just afraid of the freak accident that mm-hmm. they kind of just stay in their room and watch Netflix, I was told. So, um, yeah. you know, I can, again, can't really imagine what it's like. I don't see myself being there anytime soon. But like that just sounds like um you know having it a little bit earlier does sound get it in get it out of the way what were um what were like what was the event like seeing some of these girls i mean you've raced against them around the world right yeah so you knew most of them but what was it like knowing that you're you're all now at like 30 million people are potentially watching yeah. you right now i mean no, like what's, cool. what's that like yeah so um it's funny because the, the course is the same as a World Cup. The competitors are the same as a World Cup. The competition format is um, pretty much the same. It's all the same as a World Cup, except that it's the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And that you're, everyone in the world is watching you, literally. And you're wearing a bib with the Olympic rings on you. So it's, it's similar to a World Cup, except it's entirely different. And once I realized that it really wasn't anything like a, just another World Cup, um, that's sort of when I started to embrace it and have a little bit more fun with it. Cause I think initially I was trying to um, trick myself into thinking like, it's just another world's cup. Like, you know, this, like it's fine, but that didn't really work. And on my first day of qualifications, like it showed in my performance. Cause I, I messed up, I skied terribly and I needed to ski in the second qualification round to make it to finals. Um, so then I sort of in between that time, I realized that this is the Olympics. This is a bigger event, like just embrace it, have fun with it. Like you don't want to look back and remember that you were just thinking of it as another world cup because it's not. And so I, I realized that. And then in my second qualification round, I 
made finals and it was incredible. That is just so awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, again, talking to so many athletes and understanding many people do try and do that. It's like, Oh, it's yeah. just, it's just another run. I've done this a million times, not a big mm -hmm. deal, but I like how you were kind of embracing it. Cause like yeah. it, it, it is, it's the Olympics. I mean, how often do you know, a potential 1 billion people see your name. Like right. it's something ridiculous. So embrace it, go big, man. Right. Like yeah. it's just, I wanted to treat it like it was, you know, I wanted to treat it like the Olympics because I feel like I probably would have regretted it if I didn't. And I skied badly when I did think of it as just another event. So obviously that didn't work. <laughs> yeah, clearly. I mean, try something new, right? If it doesn't yeah. work, you might as well fix it. So that, that is awesome. So again, Tess, this is just incredible, the opportunity to talk to you and hear about, you know, your, your time at the Olympics. Now, obviously, um, you know, we have four more years until the next games, because as of recording, mm -hmm. this is still 2018, you know, you're only a couple of months removed um, from the Olympics. So what, what do the next four years look like and understanding, like obviously going from 18 to 22 is a big leap in just biology standards. So what do you kind of have to make sure of over the next four years to ensure that you're going to be in the exact same spot and not even that, but, but even potentially better? Yeah. Well, um, really I would say that, Mogul skiers are looking for the performance that they want to achieve in the Olympics every single year. You know, they want to achieve that performance every year because even though the Olympics don't happen every year, the World Cups are still happening. And this year there's World Championships, which happens every other year. So it's not quite as big as the Olympics, but it's a big deal. And, you know, to be world champion is almost as good as being an Olympic gold medalist. Like there are many things to train for and um, you can't just take a four-year break in between the Olympics. Like, that doesn't work. So we're training just as hard every single year. I mean, pretty much the winter ends in March, and we have one month off. And then from May all the way to November, we're training our hardest, actually. It's not even winter, and we're water ramping for our jumps and working out in the gym every day and traveling across the world to get on snow. Like, it's, it's intense training for sure. And then World Cup season comes around in December and we're on the road for three months straight competing. So that's pretty much what it looks like every year, even though the Olympics don't happen every year. I mean, we're still training and competing just as hard. Absolutely. And if anyone actually thinks that you guys take four years off, yeah. um, they're very mistaken. Um, mm -hmm. It's not like you take four years off and you're still an elite athlete a couple of years later. That's not quite how it works. Um, no. um, but it's definitely, it's, it's always interesting to hear specifically with sports because certain sports, they do try and kind of just make sure that they're at peak performance right. at a specific time. And clearly with you, um, you guys and girls, it's, it's nope, we're going all out all the time uh, mm -hmm. because it's world championships, world cups, the whole nine. Um, yeah. Being the best in the world doesn't just happen once every four years. It sounds like it happens every year, every other year. So it definitely is, is more um, interesting. But, but again, how do you make sure, like obviously with your ultimate goal of making the Olympics, and then now your next ultimate goal, it sounds like obviously would be winning a World Cup, winning a, winning a World Championship. But specifically for four years away, is there anything you have to do to make sure that you're, that you're going to be lined up perfectly or it's just – the Olympics land and the time of the season is, and we just run and by then you should be fine. Uh, no, not really. I mean, you're, like I said, we're training in the off season our hardest. So that's sort of when you make your changes. Uh -huh. And, um, you know, in the spring, I would say you sort of reset your goals every year. At least I do. And mm. both of those goals are results and, um, performance oriented. So, 
whether that's trying a new trick or wanting to win a World Cup, I definitely reset my goals and adjust my training based on those goals. Love it. Love goal setting. It's always the best way to do it. And um, also, just as an aside, after um, uh, Tess is going to give us her Instagram handle because I was watching her jump off water jumps um, mm-hmm. about a week ago, and that looked like so much fun. It yeah. looked absolutely insane. You look, you're in wetsuits, and you're just going down this ramp with skis, and you're just doing ridiculous flips, and then you just land in a pool of water. You get yeah. up, and you do it again. So, I mean, that just looks like a blast. So if that's it your is. training, um, I mean, I'm sure there's way uh, maybe more difficult things you're doing, and I'm sure that's not as easy as it looks fun, um, yeah. but it's wicked cool. So I really hope more people follow you and pay attention to that because I just thought that was absolutely incredible what you guys are doing. It was looks yeah, so cool. Yeah, it's definitely a unique type of training, like, other skiers don't really I mean I guess slope style skiers do a form of that but yeah it's a unique part of our training that not a lot of sports do yeah no I could understand um but man that does look like a lot of fun so um one last thing I do want to talk about and I try and bring this up with just about every athlete specifically ones that are in individual sports like yourself um the monetary aspects uh specifically either being an Olympian I mean you're super young I look I mean Mm -hmm. let's just keep bringing up that fact right (laughs) um you know especially when you started with Team USA you were 14 so that probably wasn't even a big deal to you now that you're 18 and kind of realizing, you know, moving forward, you have to make money to eat food kind of thing. Um, you know, what, what do the monetary aspects either specifically with mogul skiing, women skiers in general, um, you know, what can you tell us on that side and kind of what it's like to make money in your sport? Because obviously again, you you need to make money. You do it for the love, but at the same time, you still need to make money to do everything you need to do. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, mogul skiing is not a super popular sport. It doesn't have a lot of exposure, so um, we don't really make any money. I'll just throw that out there. Um, I actually did win a World Cup this year right after the Olympics, and um, if you – let's see. There's prize money up to 10th place in a World Cup, and obviously the top three get a pretty sizable check, but that's just the top three, and it's – I don't know. It's crazy to me because even if you're getting 10th place in a world cup, like that's 10th in the world, that's amazing. And you're getting $200. So it's just, it's definitely hard. That part is hard. And then also being on the U S ski team, um, only a team athletes are funded. So 30% of this year's moguls team is funded, which is crazy because each year expenses get up to $30,000. And you know, if they're expensive, if our coaches expect us to attend training 100% of the time and, you know, focus on our training and our body and our health. Um, and it's really hard to fit in like a job with that. Like I have teammates who have to miss training to pay for their skiing careers. And I mean, it's, it's just hard to justify when you're such a, at such a high level of this sport that it's not compensated for. So I definitely, um, I'm happy to be a funded athlete this year, but this is my first year being a funded athlete. So I definitely know the financial stress that this sport has put on me and my parents. Um, They've been so supportive and I'm so grateful for that, but it's definitely hard. I mean, it gets really expensive. Yeah. I mean, I didn't realize, I mean, it it makes sense, I guess, with travel and everything and and equipment and coaching and nutrition. I mean, like you, you want to eat right. It's going to cost more money. It's not like you can eat ramen noodles every day and expect your body to perform at unbelievable levels. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's very frustrating. And that number 30% of the team only being funded is, I mean, that's just frustrating to hear. And considering, I mean, you were there last year, you can really understand what it Mm -hmm. was like. And it's just, it's, it's, very inconceivable to me how we can't support our athletes more, um, at least from the top down. And, and 
maybe I understand obviously like women mogul skiing in general is really not viewed unless it's the Olympics. Let's be right. honest about that. Yeah. Um, so it's just one of those things where I can understand you guys not making a million dollars. Okay. That's, mm-hmm. that is what it is. Viewership brings sponsorship brings dollars, but I mean, at least livable wages, right? Yeah. Like at least being able to not have to have a job so yeah, that we exactly. can train and we can become even better at something. So there's the potential that, you know, the, um, you know, that, that event will be more viewed in the country and NBC makes more money, which means the IOC, which means the USOC and it's a trickle down effect from there. So that is very yeah. frustrating to hear, um, especially with someone with the firsthand account of it over the last four years. Um, mm-hmm. now I'd take that into account. I mean that, the, you know, look, we're looking at six figures at least, uh, if not more in expenses. So, you know, it's incredible. Yeah. We appreciate the time, the effort, the energy, the money, obviously, that you're putting into it. Thank you, Mr. Mm-hmm. and Mrs. Johnson. We appreciate mm-hmm. that as well. Um, but, you know, thankfully, you are able to come through it. And now, you know, you're, you know, hopefully going to be one of the best in the world, if not the best in the world coming up in a, in a couple, within the next few years. And uh, something tells me the chip on your shoulder, you're going to do everything you can to get there. Yeah, thank you. No, absolutely. So again, everybody, Tess Johnson, um, Olympian, United States skiing with moguls, very interesting sport. It sounds like it hurts, but you know, again, if it rocks, it rolls, let's do it. So thank you again so much, Tess. We sincerely appreciate you hanging out with us today. Yep. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Our Athletes with Tess Johnson. She was, as I said, a fantastic interview, a very cool person. Please share this with anyone that you think would really enjoy Tess's story, but also rate, comment, subscribe, review, share this with anyone just in general. Um, I really hope that our athletes do get to have a little bit more recognition because I truly believe that they deserve it for everything that they do, as you heard in this episode and hopefully heard in many others. So please do one of those things for me. I would sincerely appreciate it. If you have a question or want to tell me something, my email is michael at ourathletes.us or follow us on Instagram at ourathletes.us. Other than that, guys, hope you have an absolutely wonderful day.